0: You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Father, we're grateful that we have the confidence of knowing that the Lord Jesus is with us, and whatever He does in our lives, done well. We have the confidence of knowing that He loves us, that He's omnipotent, and He's our shepherd that your plan is perfect, that your wisdom is perfect, and that it's available to us as we seek your word, as we spend time with yourself in prayer, and as we commit our hearts to being what you want us to be. Father, bless us and our families. A lot of us need help. We want to be more of what you want us to be. And use these sessions, what has been said throughout this week, use them, Father, in accordance with your purpose to build us up in the Lord Jesus and to make us, Uh, more of what you want us to be. Bless the hour, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about children. Take your Bibles and look at one verse with me. Proverbs 22. And you're expecting me to read verse 6, but I'm going to read verse 15. Proverbs 22. Just one verse. Verse 15. The verse reads like this. This foolishness is bound up New American Standard, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction or discipline will drive it far away from him. I want to make two basic points. I take the job of the parent to be twofold. The job that I have with my two boys, that my wife and I have with our two kids, ages seven and ten, just got them back from the ranch yesterday, they had a super week. The job of the parent, I think, is twofold. Number one is to drive out foolishness through discipline. You have a workshop on that once, and one person suggested I entitle the workshop Beat the Fool Out of Them. (laughs) That conveys a little different tone than I think I'd like to share. The second job of the parent is to build in wisdom through example and instruction. Drive out foolishness through discipline. Build in wisdom through example and instruction. There's nobody who speaks more effectively about the job of parenthood than Howie Hendricks. And as you listen to Howie, you understand something about the importance of relationship between parents and children. Now, I'm not going to speak to that particular point, although I think it's foundational to all that I'm saying. If I'm to drive out foolishness from my children... It seems to me it's pretty important that I understand what foolishness is. If this foolishness, this thing that the Bible calls foolishness, is bound up in my child's heart and it's going to cause so many problems, i better know what it is and exactly how to deal with it. Let me give you a definition of foolishness that I think is faithful to the Scripture. The Bible says, this fool has said in his heart there is no God. In Romans 1, we talk about people who have professed themselves to become wise, but they became fools. As they reduced God from who he really was, they refused to give thanks, they didn't bow before him, but they brought him down to their level. What is foolishness? I take foolishness to be this the basic belief. Foolishness, I think, is a belief. It's an attitude, it's a position, it's a conviction. The basic belief that I can get my needs met. And you all know what I mean by needs now. I have two personal needs. They are security and significance, love and purpose, two basic personal needs, the need for security, the need for significance, and foolishness is the belief that I can get my needs met, my personal needs met, without ever turning to the Lord. My kids believe that. They were born with a disposition to believe that they can get their needs met Somehow, by manipulating their parents, by getting the newest bike on the block, by getting the best grades, by getting on drugs, by doing something, they can somehow get their needs met for security and significance without ever turning to the Lord. My kids really believe that. And I've got to drive that satanic lie out of them. They're born believing that. I believe this. I believe that every non-organically caused problem children or for that matter with adults every non-organically caused problem and there are problems that have a physical physiological basis and I'm not even dealing with that that belongs in the hands of your physician every non-organically caused problem that I see in my office among adults or I see in my children at home every non-organically caused problem can be traced back to foolishness the basic belief that I can get my needs met somehow somewhere apart from God. Suppose we don't do the job of driving out foolishness. Suppose we as parents slip up on discipline. Suppose we don't understand a biblical approach to discipline. Suppose we neglect this all-important area of dealing with discipline. What happens to foolishness which goes unchecked? Let me give you eight stages. Let me go through them rather quickly. Eight stages in what I call the development of a fool. Fool. My children were foolish and they were born. If I don't do as a parent something about that foolishness, naturally speaking, apart from God's intervention through whatever means he chooses, apart from God's gracious intervention, if that foolishness goes unchecked, my children will, will progress through a variety of stages of development of their foolishness until they become fools. Stage number one. See where your kids fall in all this. Stage number one, I call the stage of naïve, naïve foolishness. That's ages zero to one. Ages zero to one. The stage of naïve foolishness, a basic disposition. Our children haven't got their beliefs clothed with language at this point, but they have a basic disposition to meet their personal needs apart from God. Stage number two. Ages 2 through 6. I call the stage of learned foolishness. Naive foolishness, 0 through 1, a basic disposition. Stage 2, the stage of learned foolishness. Ages 2 through 6. And you often heard psychologists say things like, it's the first uh, 4, 5, 6 years that are critical in character formation. That, that's usually overstressed, I think, because I think that leaves out the power of God at any age. And yet I do believe, I do believe that in the first 5 or 6 years, that our kids do pick up a certain basic direction as to what they think is going to meet their needs. I enter the world thinking that I need to find some way to meet my needs for security and significance. I do not naturally seek after God. My sin nature prevents that. There's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. And so rather than seeking after God, I look around and try to find some way to get my needs met apart from God. Let's see. Dad talks a lot about how much money he makes. So maybe the way to really become a significant human being is if you achieve. Mother is very, very vain, spends hours in front of the mirror. Maybe the way to become secure is to get notice. And ages 2 through 6, our children pick up certain ideas. Exodus 34, 7 says that the sins of the fathers are passed on to children of the third and fourth generation. I believe that's a psychological inheritance. And I believe that whatever I'm really living for, you see, we can pray all we want about living for the Lord and glorifying Him and our lives are committed to Him and all the rest of it, but a lot of us talk the language real well, and there's certain evidence of it in our lives, but way down deep what I'm really after is making the buck or getting noticed or getting my husband to change or getting the neighbors to think well of me or getting my own way. And when the church goes in a direction that... I don't really care for in a particular way, not a doctrinal problem, but maybe a scheduling problem, and I get mad about it and I get all irritated. Why am I mad? I have a blocked goal. What's my goal? To get my church to go my way. What do I believe is the basis of significance to get my way? What do my kids learn the same thing? Couldn't say that all again, I'm not sure what I said. Ages 2 through 6, learned foolishness. Ages 7 through 12, the third stage, stage that I call practiced practiced foolishness. It's interesting to do a little bit of self-analysis. I don't encourage too much introspection. I do far too much of it, and that's why I get depressed a lot. But as I look back at my own situation as a youngster, raised in a Christian home, fine, strong Christian home, godly parents, and all here who share that blessing are grateful to God every day for it, yet Satan makes inroads even in godly homes. I've got a foolish nature that's looking for some way to meet needs apart from God, and I'll find some way. Satan will come up with something that I'll believe, that I'll look for. I have an older brother. He's four and a half years my senior. And Bill is very mechanical. Bill is very good with his hands and wrenches, and he can fix things, and he's very, very good. And I'm, I'm a thorough going klutz when it comes to mechanics. And our washing machine breaks, you know, and my wife says, Larry, guess what? The washing machine is broken. But all I can do is go over and lay my hands on it and say, (laughs) heal. After which I call the repairman. (laughs) My brother was very, very good mechanically. And I can recall ages 7 through 12 when I was practicing some foolishness that uh, we lived up in Philadelphia. That's down in Philadelphia from here, I guess. I'm used to being in Florida. We lived down in Philadelphia where uh, we had some snow. And whenever we needed to put chains on the tires, Bill, who was four and a half years my senior, was so much more skillful at it than I was. So I wanted to put the chains on. When I was about eight or nine. I wanted to help out, you know. And it was time to put the chains on the tires. It was a snowy morning, and Dad would say, whoops, need chains on the tires. And I'd go out in the garage, and I'd fiddle for, you know, 35, 40, 50 minutes, and I'd barely get the chains untangled. And Bill would come out and say, you clutz, and put them on properly within two minutes. And I'd feel like a real idiot. What did I learn from that? Significance depends on competence. Significance depends on doing what you're good at, so stay away from what you're not good at. Keep your distance from areas that you're not sure you're good at. And to this day, when I pick up a screwdriver, I have close to a nervous breakdown. You know? My hand kind of shakes. i got to put in a screw. How do you do it? My significance is at stake because I have a ridiculously foolish belief that my significance depends upon demonstrated competence. But it doesn't. Practice foolishness, that's the third stage. That's up through age 12, 13, the ages aren't magic, it's an estimate. Stage four, ages 13 through 18, the terrible teens, and I call this the stage of disappointed foolishness. Maybe for the first uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 years, your kids are getting all the Sunday school pens down to their knees, you know, and they're all excited about that, and you give them a round of applause, and they memorize their verses, and you think they're growing spiritually and everything's sober. and if you've never dealt with them properly at a discipline level to drive out the foolishness, it could be that all of that Sunday school pens and attendance and memory of Scripture and all the rest of it really is not spiritual growth at all, but is another subtle form of foolishness. I want the attention of my parents and I'll do whatever will get attention from my parents they want me to be a good little kid so I'll do it it gets their attention and you think it's spiritual growth and it may not be now it may be depending on how you're handling their foolishness but if foolishness goes unchecked it will find a variety of forms much of the time through age 12 in Christian homes the foolishness takes a form that's very acceptable and looks very appropriate and age 13 through 18 the bottom falls out Why? Because now the Sunday school pins down to your knee isn't with it anymore. There was no real desire, maybe, to be what God wants me to be. It was rather a desire to get my need met by getting attention. And now at age 14, mom's attention doesn't mean very much. And Dad saying, way to go, son. You memorize the verse. That's no big thrill anymore. And now I'm disappointed in my efforts to get my needs met through the way I've learned to be foolish. Up through age 12 and 13. And so now I seek new ways. And now I'm desperate. My needs aren't met and I'm hurting and I've got to get my needs met and all that I've learned up through age 12 isn't working now and so now I search about for sex and drugs, whatever it might be, anything which is going to give me at least the illusion of feeling good about myself. Disappointed foolishness. Terrible teens. Ages 13 through 18. By the way, the suicide rate is extraordinarily high among among teens, 13 through 18. One of the leading causes of death among teens today because they've not found a way to get their needs met. The next stage, stage 5, ages 19 through 30, I call the stage of rearranged foolishness. Rearranged foolishness. They make it through their teen years, and things are uh, finally settling down, and they tried all the sex and the drugs and all the rest of it, and they say, well, those those are some real kicks for for a while, but, you know, that was empty, too. Now that I'm turning into an adult, now that burning down college buildings is no longer the end thing, I'm kind of out of that, now I've got to find some other way to become significant and secure. And so now they rearrange their foolishness, and they get new goals, new ideas. If I reach that goal, then my needs for security and significance will be met. I believe there are basically four goals that children growing up into adults pursue. Four basic ways that we try to get our, our needs met. Four, four things we pursue as a result of our foolish natures. And the first is attention. Now, by attention, I don't mean something as limited as notice or recognition. By attention, what I mean, the attitude that I should be able to live irresponsibly and have my world still go along very well. It's my youngster who leaves his bike outside who doesn't think in terms of I should be responsible enough to bring my bike inside the garage and put it in there. I didn't really feel like it. I'm not a rebellious kid. I'm not being nasty. I just didn't feel like bringing my bike in. I didn't even think about it. And if it rains, well, you know, that will get rid of the rust or buy me a new one. The world will go on properly. I just don't want to have to be responsible. The goal of self-centered attention. The second goal is power. Any of your kids in power struggles with you? And you block their goals. And how do they feel towards you? Resentful. In the stage of re- in the stage of uh, rearranged fullness eighteen through thirty. These goals of power often get translated into a person who, at this particular age looking for some way to get power by becoming the head of this corporation or becoming the head of this company or becoming the head of that. Nothing's wrong with becoming the head of things. I'm questioning the motivation for it, that's all. And I'm saying that a lot of us as, as youngsters are pursuing attention in certain ways and as adults we pursue attention in different ways. We pursue power as youngsters in certain ways. My kids were scared to death to come to Word of Life. You know why? They heard that you had to eat all the vegetables. And they were going to be stripped of their power. You see? And they wanted the power to decide broccoli, no. And as adults, with a lot of us in our desire for power, we, we, we look for ways to gain power over people, either with humor, with insult with put-downs, with achievements, all kinds of things which sometimes look very socially and spiritually acceptable and the real motivation is very, very self-centered. The third goal is revenge. If you block my goal. If I think that I need, in order to be significant, I need recognition. Let's assume I, I believe that. In my foolishness I need recognition and that wrong, foolish idea has not been driven out of me by parental discipline And now I'm ages 18 through 30 and I need recognition and I'm trying to get it and you're getting in the way. You won't recognize me as being as super as I am. And that makes me mad. Now what do I pursue? The goal of getting even with you. And look for some way to put you down. Amazing how many Christians down deep inside get a little bit of pleasure out of somebody else falling. Goal of revenge. The last goal, the goal that a lot of us pursue, is the goal of withdrawal. The goal of safety. i if I need to be significant. I really do. And, and for my first 12 or 13 years, or maybe up through 16 or 17, I've been able to be significant. I could get up front and memorize some verses and say it to my Sunday school audience, and people would say, he's a good little boy. But now at age 19 through 30, I'm rearranging my foolishness. And uh, and I'm scared to death that if I, now I, I I can't get away with just memorizing verses, I got to get up and give a Bible lesson. I might not do a good job, so I'm never going to get up and give a Bible lesson. I'm going to withdraw from any place that I'm afraid I might not perform well. How many people are afraid to step out and do something for the Lord because they're afraid they're not going to do well? How many times have you wanted to witness to somebody, but you were afraid the person was going to go? Whoa. Or you're afraid the person asked you a question, you wouldn't know. Or what if he says, how about, the, how about the heathen? What are you doing with that? And so therefore, we don't witness. Why? We're more concerned with our own sense of self-esteem than we are with that person going to hell. That happens all the time. Our goal is what? Winning the world? Or is our goal our own safety? Are we withdrawing from responsibility? Now, I'm not saying we should go and do that which we're incompetent at. But I am suggesting we should do what the Lord calls us to, what's right to do, whether we're afraid or not, as opposed to withdrawing. That's the fourth goal, that people of the age of 19 through 30 find certain forms. It's interesting, one of the greatest diseases that I see among people in the 19 through 30 rearranged foolishness stage is the problem of people who have difficulty in committing themselves to anything people that cannot find a vocational direction, the people that are afraid to get married, the people that are afraid to make any kind of commitments Why? Because they're basically afraid they're going to fail. And so they withdraw. And that's their strategy of keeping themselves from feeling too bad about themselves, ages 19 through 30, rearrange foolishness. The next stage, ages 31 or thereabouts to 65, I call the stage of stable foolishness. Stable foolishness. And here's where I think the person finally deserves the title, fool. The Lord said to the rich man who was talking about building more barns, what was he saying? He was saying, my security, my comfort for the rest of my life, my significance to me that's so important, the real big hotshot that I am, it all depends on how much money I've made in the bigger barns that I'm building, and I'm going to build bigger and bigger barns. the Lord said, you're a fool. Fable foolishness. I know how to become significant and secure, make more money, whatever, do this, do that, do something else. And the real motivation down deep is not the glory of God. Folks, that troubles me all the time about myself. And I have my real honest moments and I sit down and reflect and I say, what do I really write books for? What do I really do this and that for? You know what I'm aware of and anybody who's honest is aware of it? I'm aware of very mixed motivation. The motivation in me that I think is right. The Lord's done a work in me as he has in you. And I love the Lord and I want his glory and I and I, I want to minister to you all because of him and I want to help in some ways, and I write because I want to bring glory to God, but I also find within me some other things. Some other desires. By the way, don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on that. If you sit around and wait for your motivation to be pure before you do something, you'll never do anything. The only way to get your motivation pure, if I if you want to really get me to help you get your motivation pure I've got to kill you so you can be glorified then you're perfect (laughs) the only therapy that makes you perfect you know short of that my motivation is always suspect a man who was a preacher that I really admired once said to me uh, I I said to him as he was getting up to preach I said how do you get up to preach with your motivation pure he said I don't know I said come on he said no my motivation is always mixed I said well what do you do He says, I take the sinful wreck that I am, knowing my motivation is mixed, and I say, Lord, here's the mess. I yield myself to you. If you can use somebody who's as mixed up as I am, but who loves you like I do, I'm available. And then he gets up with no thought of his own worthiness, and he ministers in the name of Christ, and God honors that. When you get serious about the Lord, I'm sure most of you are, many of you are. When you look for the specific ways to implement that and say, Lord, by your grace, I want to be the husband." wife, the mother, the father, that I should be. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To learn more, visit LargerStory.com.